<laughs> What's happening, weirdos? This is my new friend, James Bashara, an incredibly, incredibly interesting podcaster, author, startup helper, I guess I could call him, like an angel investor who started the company uh, Tilt, which was acquired by Airbnb. But the thing that made me most interesting in this very, very interesting 30 under 30 type fella, well, not type, he was in Forbes, Time Magazine, uh, the magazine Inc., I-N-C, I guess Incorporated. They all had him on their 30 under 30 list. He's, he's I'm going to say it, he's a mover. He's a shaker. He's interesting. But why, why was I drawn to him? Because he's a student of Vedanta, non-duality, which we had many interesting conversations about. Uh, we also talked about Magic Mind. The You guys know the drink that I love. Uh, James is the founder of Magic Mind. Uh, I was very interested in his story about getting off of coffee, inventing that drink. And then as I learned more and more and more and eventually got to his spirituality, I was incredibly hooked in this new person and wanted to have him on the podcast. So I really hope you enjoy my chat with James. If you like it as much as I did, you're going you're gonna to shit your pants. You're going to shit your pants. A couple things to promote up top. How we roll... My new show, my new my new uh, CBS sitcom is premiering Thursday, March 31st. Uh, if you're listening to this, the day this comes out, that's tomorrow. That's the day after my birthday. Birthday, March 30th. How we roll premiering on March 31st, 2022. Get into it. It's on CBS. It's on after g- ghosts. So there's ghosts. Don't be scared of the ghosts. Watch the ghosts. And then stay tuned for how we roll. I really, really, really hope you guys like it. And I really, 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 really loved making it and want to do many, 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 many more. So please help us do that and check it. Check it out. Would love, would love it if you did that. Also, if you'd like to come see me do stand-up, I have two dates coming up. Uh, Largo on April 5th and also April 22nd. Uh, April 5th is the rescheduling of the March 25th date, which I had to cancel because of the Coco Maloco. And it's been rescheduled to April 5th and then April 22nd. Both of those shows are going to be incredible. We always have incredible, incredible guests. And I always do a nice long set as well. So hope to see you. I'm also adding a date on the 23rd, April 23rd. I'm going out of town for the first time in a very long time. I will be at the Moon Tower Comedy Fest doing one solo show in Austin. So look up the Moon Tower Comedy Fest and come see me on April 23rd, one night only in Austin. It's going to be really fun. Just announced that. Super excited. I'm not even sure if tickets are live yet, but if they are, please nab them. Hope to see you there. Yeah. Okay. That's all the all the live dates in the TV to promote. And as you guys know, uh, this show is sponsored by things that I actually use and actually love, like my Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds from Ultimate Ears. I don't know if you heard me there. Custom Fit. These are dope. These come out of the box. You hook them up to the app. You put them in your ear. They're in-ear earbuds, and they kind of, they sort of fit, but then they heat up. Are you listening? They heat up like purple LED lights form the earbuds to your unique ear shape. Your unique ear shape. This is some cool ass stuff. I mean, we rely so much on our devices, but we forget about the hardware we're born with, like our ears. Just like our fingerprints, no two are exactly alike. 
What are the chances that your earbuds are going to fit made by some random company for some random fit model's ear? I see you out there, everybody, with your with your uniquely shaped ear holes. People with the earbuds that have to go in kind of sideways. Sometimes you see them going in completely upside down. Well, you ear fits... Ultimate Ear Fits True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds are here to change all that. I loved, it's worth it just for the unboxing and the fitting experience. You take it out, they're sort of amorphous, they look like these sort of gelatinous cubes. I mean, it's firm, but it's like amorph. You put them in, pretty snug, you get them as snug as you can, which I think is the coolest part. Get them in there, and then press the button on the app. Purple LEDs, heat up that plastic, and boom, it's like... It's best described with a sound effect. Not only do they fit perfectly, they're water resistant, they sound amazing, a perfect fit in 60 seconds, and they're so comfortable, you can wear them all day long while you listen to podcasts like this one, or listen to incredible music. They are built on industry-leading expertise, trusted by pro musicians and hi-fi enthusiasts for over 25 years. They're engineered to provide a full, warm sound with a tight, punchy low end, and you can set custom EQ presets to the app as well. Play, pause music, even answer calls with the built-in controls, and use the free app to set custom actions like voice assistant, volume adjustment, and more. They are the most comfortable, best-sounding earbuds that I've ever found, and why wouldn't they be? They're the only ones that and do it just right. If you try fits and you don't love them as much as I do, no worries. Ultimate Ears offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. Plus, you'll get free shipping, free returns, and a one-year warranty. So try them out and show your support of this podcast. So when you do, be sure to use promo code WEIRD at ue.com slash fits to get your pair of UE fits. That's U-E, like ultimateears.com slash fits, and use promo code WEIRD to get incredibly sound, incredible sound, incredible fit, and to show your support of this podcast. Last but not least, we have Joy Mode, which I've been enjoying. Enjoying my Joy Mode. Remember the last time you were at a gas station and you saw those horribly branded erection pills? Yeah, they they they're terrible. They look like tattoo. They look like temporary tattoos. There's like a cougar growling and explosions behind it. But you ever take a second to see what's in those products? They're terrible. They're terrible for you. The same goes for most of the products on the market that claim to help men in bed. But who wants a four-hour erection or nasty side effects, heart problems, and a possible trip to the hospital just to get rid of that thing? Uh, not me. Joy Mode is here to save the day. Whether you're happy or unhappy with your performance in the bedroom, who doesn't want to perform even better? Joy Mode's sexual performance booster is like a pre-workout, but for sex. And wouldn't you rather take a supplement designed to spice things up naturally rather than a prescription drug that can have harmful side effects down the road? I know I would. Natural all the way. But I'm here to tell you firsthand, uh, first, firsthand, let's say firsthand, it absolutely works, and it doesn't have ingredients that make you feel crazy or weird about them. You know what I'm saying? Natural. You go to great lengths to biohack, biohack your way to better mental and physical performance, but what about the bedroom? Joy Mode makes natural and science-backed sexual wellness products for men. Their sexual performance booster is like a pre-workout, like I said, but for sex, it is filled with incredible clinically supported doses of lots of things I can't, can't uh, pronounce. L-citrulline, 
Arganine. Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Yoshimbean. Yoshimbean? Mario's friend? And vitamin C. This is Mario's friend. <laughs> doot, 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 doot. It was created with best-in-class scientists and biochemistry PhDs. After taking the sexual performance booster, blood levels of arginine and yohimbin, yohimbin, there he is again, will increase, which will directly promote nitric oxide production, penile tissue relaxation, and increased drive. Meanwhile, the antioxidant action of vitamin C will protect nitric oxide from oxidative degradation, which enhances the blood flow promoting activity of nitric oxide. Basically, this is saying it gets blood flow going specifically to the penis, resulting in better performance. Joy Mode was created because the products on the market are terrible and they knew they could do better. Prescriptions come with side effects and the over-the-counter stuff are sketchy and fraudulent. Plus, uh, you know, a lot of guys take both because they don't have a better option, but now you do. You can take it in six to eight ounces of water. It's a powder. Uh, you stir it up, you get it down in you, just like an electrolyte packet. 45 minutes later, uh, 45 minutes to four hours is your window uh, of prime activity. I found it kicked in very, very quickly. Blood flow, better erection quality and firmness, and increased sex drive and energy. So if you want to spice things up in the bedroom and boost your sexual performance and do it naturally without nasty prescription drugs, we have a special offer for weirdos, for the You Made It Weird audience. Go to usejoymode.com, usejoymode.com slash weird, or enter weird at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's usejoymode.com slash weird for 20% off your first order. And thank you to Joy Mode. All right, everybody. Hope to see you at those live dates one last time. I'll be in Los Angeles on April 5th and 22nd. Go to largo-la.com for tickets. And on April 23rd, I will be in Austin for one night only at the Moon Tower Comedy Fest. Be sure to watch How We Roll this Thursday, March 31st, 9.30 on CBS. Really hope you like it. And in the meantime, enjoy my chat with my truly new friend, James Bashara. Get into it. <laughs> we did it. I decided, James, that we're going to start here. All that, all that preamble, we're going to trim out. We're going to start here with the good audio. And let me, I never do this. I always forget to do this, give it a proper beginning and say, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see you and talk to you. And, th- and this is all genuine. I don't have to say this, I'm, but I, I want to say I've it. I've heard you say that before on other episodes. I have said it on other episodes when I remember, and I usually am excited, but I guess I wanted to say that like more than other episodes, because we've had great calls, really just one phone call where we talked a little bit about Magic Mind coming on the podcast, but then we ended up talking for, I don't know, over an hour and just really, really intersecting and overlapping and so many shared interests. And then listening to your podcast below the line, I, I, I'm currently in a, I love all things. That's not truly, that's not fair. I don't love all things spiritual. Like I don't go to Sedona and buy every crystal and, and go to a a pet psychic. And that's not to put down pet psychics or crystals. I'm just like, I'm not a come one, come all, but like the type of non-duality and Vedanta that you were slinging, I'm going to say slinging, not that you were selling it, but that you were slinging it around. You were playing with it and, and engaging with it and sharing it is exactly where I happen to be right now. Uh, I, I'm going to kick off to you in just a second. I'm sorry for talking so much, but I just found this guy 
who I texted you about, Rupert Spira, who's a non-dualist. And I've, I've almost finished um, his book, which is called Being Aware of Being Aware. And it's blowing me away. And the, the fact that that's coinciding with you and I coming into each other's lives uh, is really exciting to me and, and feels really synchronicitous and fortuitous. And it just makes me feel all cozy in the universe. So that is my intro to you. Well, I, I couldn't appreciate that more because I think it's, especially with someone like you, the surface area of conversation could go in a million different directions, fill up an hour as our first conversation did. And then many texts afterwards of sharing this resource and this resource is so beautiful, but it's, it's great to know that it can go in that direction on the yeah. philosophical and, and uh, spiritual side. One of my my uh, teacher, when he was asked, I, I shared this with you, when he was asked um, not too long ago, uh, but someone asked, do you believe in God? And they didn't know him too well. They didn't know what he, he does. And, and his response was, I don't believe in anything else. <laughs> and then there was just See, like silence for I love it. 14 15 seconds as everyone around just absorbed that answer. Yeah. And then I was like I cannot wait till someone asks me that question and, yeah. and I get to give that no. it's so, so brilliant. Um so this is something been, I love talking about. I know and and here we are like 15 seconds in and you've already uh, given us such a gift that that story of your teacher has stuck with me, and I also let's not even dissect and go. Oh, my ego would love fuck that shit. Yeah. I just I I I'm owning it. It would be fun to be able to give that answer because I'm with it. I think it's yeah. really it's one of those answers that makes you wonder why you were splitting the source of all things over there and us over here to begin with. Right. And I do think we're b- born with that intuition to go like, it's it's all, I'll, I'll put this to you. I was just talking to somebody about how, it's one of my favorite points Richard Rohr makes is about how Harry Potter and stories like that are all about finding out you're a wizard, finding out, and the stories before Harry Potter were all about finding out you had royal blood. Like mm-hmm. like Rapunzel and all of these stories are like, oh, wait, I'm the daughter of, of the king. Yeah. And that is the only story uh, not only worth telling, it's the only one that like will endure. Like those stories, I'm sure in the time that fairy tales were being written, they had other stories that were like, and that's why we don't steal sausages. And like, we don't tell those anymore. Right. But like the ones about finding out that you're of royal blood, and then later stories like Harry Potter, like you're of um, magic blood. It's all the same thing saying that the source of everything is looking out your eyes right now. Mm. It it couldn't be closer. And 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 when I talk to somebody like you, tell me a little bit. Uh, you get where I was going. I was just going to say something no, nice again. I get well, excited. It, it's, well, it's honestly that it's that answer that he gave that. What I love about that answer and how that shifts the conversation is that nine out of ten people maybe are going to go in that direction and, and be curious. And one out of 10 will, will say, I want to dive head first, especially I think Americans, um, especially people that find that have found themselves moving across the country to a city. They, you know, we're 
as Americans, we are, um, and in the West in general, we have been just going 150 miles an hour for, for the last 100 years. And we have been trying this and this and this and this and this. And you try career, you try money, you try uh, local hometown fame, you try mentions in the newspaper, and you just know that we've exhausted all these alternatives. And I think people, one out of ten, they'll, they'll hear that answer or the, they'll get the sense that, oh, this is where I can talk about this. Mm-hmm. And they want to dive right in because supply and demand, there's just not many conversations, not many people that you can talk to. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned this just in a, in a gathering of, of a few of us. Uh, while you're sitting around watching a football game and you're meeting a friend's friend and you're like, I can have this type of conversation. Yeah, yeah. I've been crazy. But I think be- because of the internet, uh, this is in the introduction to one of Rupert's books. So it's not Rupert, but somebody, the guy who wrote the foreword was talking about how we live in this unprecedented time where you and I, I think, are similar ages. And I remember growing up and having no sense of where to go other than church to find people that wanted to talk about those things. And not to put down church, but that came with a lot of amendments stapled to it. It was like, Mm -hmm. we can talk about infinite love, but it's also going to include your Jewish friends are going to hell. Like, that's like, it was a shitty deal. Like, it wasn't worth it. Right. (laughs) It's like, there's a great club where you can talk about God, but they're playing deafening death metal you know what i mean like (laughs) it was that it's like you can go in there and talk about peace and understand the peace that surpasses understanding is in there but also gay people are going to hell and also (laughs) muslims are going to hell and also atheists are going to everyone's going to hell it's not a good party it's not a good party (laughs) 99 percent of people that lived uh you know before two thousand years ago hell but oh yeah that's right the story just started right yeah but you're in the special special club yeah, and what a bummer. What a, yeah. it, like then you you have another thing. You just listed a good list looking for local fame mentions in the newspaper or online um looking for why did my AirPods just connect? I don't like that. Stop doing things I didn't ask you to do, computer. <laughs> <laughs> um money uh, money is always the like, sure, I'll, I'll take your word for it, but I'd like to find out for myself. People would love to find right. out that money isn't the answer for themselves. And I completely understand that. Mm-hmm. But like, the truth is, is there, is there not the answer? And what's great about your, your teacher, who I want to hear more about, his I believe in nothing else, is it, another way to put it, it seems to me, is someone says like, how do you, uh, how do you get home? Like capital H home. How do you get home? And he goes... I, I've never left home. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's that sort of answer. Like, right. how do you go there? There's nowhere to go. Right. And this is, this is the appeal. I would always say non-dualism. I learned the term Vedanta from you. I've heard it. Don't, don't get me wrong. But you taught me that it's the Upanishads. It's the post-Veda. The Vedas yeah. are the literature of Hinduism. And the post-Vedas is a discussion between, I'm quoting you, between a master and a student where they just directly address... Uh, the the, the, the state the nature yeah. the philosophy and the the way to experience yourself your your knowing the only quote that I know from the Upanishads is not not what the eye can see but that whereby the eye can see right. know this to be Brahman the eternal and not what men here adore that's the, and they do that with that's everything that's the Kano Upanishad that's right and Kano uh, yeah Kano from Upanishad. Mortal Kombat <laughs> yeah dude Kano and Goro. <laughs> The Goro Upanishad, it's going to get even gnarlier. I'm talking forearms, ponytail. Um, and 
that was the fatality of yes ands right there. That was <laughs> I, I I bless you, an official comedian. There you yeah. go. That was beautiful, dude. Well, go. I I love. Um, I think much of this conversation can be a, a celebration of the fact that I get to have these this conversation with you. And and that you are putting this kind of conversation, uh, you and Val are putting this type of conversation, these kinds of conversations out there. Because like I said, we especially were in 2022 and so much of the ends of these stories are at our fingertips. You see that owner of the sports team that's a billionaire go down in ruins. The the person that's the the, the billionaire with four kids – uh, crazy dysfunction um, in yeah. their life. You see these. Um, I love. Well, they my sleep favorite. with the nanny. They, they, you know, they sleep with the nanny, right. or, or they're they're secretly or, on drugs, or they're are secretly on drugs. They die in a. You know, it's it is. Um, I hold no punches. So when I talk about reality, and I and I hope that it's not offensive for for folks, but it might be uh, blunt. But reality is blunt and. And I've been building startups for the last 14, almost 15 years. And one of my favorite ways of talking about building startups, this is um, Gandhi's uh, autobiography, was titled Experiments with Truth. And um, that's what building companies or for you being a stand-up, going at – like you've just had experiments with punch-you-in-the-face truth. You try yeah. things out. They don't work. You think something's going to be great. You get humbled. You – um Think you have talent, you realize how far you have to go, and all of these things that, when you're a creator, um, and I, I, it's why I encourage everyone I know to to create, whether it's gardening or cooking or starting a company, you get experiments with truth, and reality gets mm. the universe is the greatest teacher, and, and it'll teach you how it'll size you up properly. And I bring that up because um, there's this type of of conversation. I, it, just this preamble in the first few minutes, I love so much because it's with someone that has had so much experience, has run so many experiments with truth, and mm. and therefore, you like I think so many of us that have, um, you know, the creator economy, the explosion of entrepreneurship, uh, the fact that anyone can learn how to cook or garden so easily with the internet. So many, so many more people in 2022 are having these experiments with truth and they're realizing yeah. whether through their own experiments or getting to see one of my favorite definition definitions of wisdom is wisdom is the capacity to see the end in the beginning. Oh, wow. And so many of us are able to either get the blessing of humility through our own experiments with truth, or you see the downfall of 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 someone uh, from afar, and part of that is just super sad Schadenfreude, and part of that is people being able to see, oh, that the person that lives in that hundred sixty five um, million dollar mansion uh, just just died, sold his company for a billion dollars. The the founder of Zappos, um, Tony Shea, wrote a book called Delivering Happiness, and in Silicon Valley, especially when I got there. Um, about 11 years ago was it was all the rage this book delivering happiness this was the modern guru mm. um, and nine years later would die of an overdose of drugs um, oh wow and 
the the Hollywood equivalent is I sometimes I, I I'm forgetting right now who it was exactly, but I think it echoes your point. Is there someone who won an Oscar? I believe it was a director, and then the next year they killed themselves, and it and it was like it's these these it's boogie nights. Like mm. we're we're drawn to these stories where it's like you get the mansion, you get the drugs, you get the fame, you get the women, and then you explode. It's also Scarface. We all know that those paths lead. Uh, can lead to very self-destructive places. We're saying the right. same thing, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's um, I think that there's a, a craving and, and thirst for these types of conversations of just tell me about, tell me a different story. Mm-hmm. And- well, talk about seeing the end in the beginning. First of all, I, 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 I love what you're saying. I want you to talk a little bit more because you've had experiences with money and success and Silicon Valley and all these things that those aren't my areas of expertise, but I'd love to hear how those were ultimately, or, or you tell me if, if they were satisfying or not, how they were satisfying and how they were unsatisfying. But your definition of wisdom, being able to see the end of the, in the beginning, Rupert writes about that. He's like the, the direct path or the non-dual path is recognizing that the beginning is the end. And, mm. and that that's, that's what makes it such a, it almost sounds like a riddle or something. Mm-hmm. But when you recognize, and this is his point, that awareness or knowing, when you say I, you, what do you mean when you say I? And you don't, you mean that sense of awareness or the thing that does the knowing mm-hmm. that a, lo- a lot of us, us would localize in your brain. That knowing is the, the screen of all experience. Or he says it's like the white page upon which the story is written. But you always – you lose sight of the page when you're reading a book because you get lost in the drama of what's happening. But when someone goes, hey, remember there's a page, you re-remember, you remember right. that there's a unchanging quality to all of experience. But here's here's the kicker, and this talks this goes to delivering happiness, right? Happiness, delivering happiness, because happiness is somewhere else, right? Mm. The point that he's saying is that field field is misleading, but we can call it a field of awareness. That sense of knowing is vast, it's desireless, it's spacious, it's peaceful. So I'm telling you, dude, I've heard this point made so many times. And for some reason with Rupert, when I read it, when I talk about it with you, when I've heard it on your podcast, I'm having an easier time going like, can you just keep a little, can you keep your little finger on your hand in that space? Not Mm -hmm. for a philosophical reason, not so you can kind of be like, have a wry smile and be like, I know what's really going on. Right. Not for that, but because it's peaceful and because right. it's happy. Right. Because it's actually happy. Yeah. That this, this is what your teacher is saying. I believe in nothing else. Having some sort of connection to source or to yourself, I would prefer self because mm-hmm. source sounds like it's somewhere else, but having some sort of connection to that desireless, always fulfilled, always peaceful, never born, never died, uh, knowing that is who you are and is also what the universe is, is not just a lava lamp, smoke a joint, fun thought experiment. Mm-hmm. It's actually where what you're seeking is, is. Mm-hmm. I would say is hiding, but that's also misleading. It's just where it is. Right. So when you can remember that what you are is peace and is mm-hmm. happiness, then the trick is to recognize and remember that, that where you actually are. And, and and stop going like, oh, if I was the CEO of Magic Mind, I'd be, or if I was a comedian, I'd be, 
you couldn't be more than you are. You right. you have royal blood. You right. have wizard blood. I love that you mentioned that to, to, in one of your conversations. I think it was the uh, Ram Das conversation you had with Raghu Marcus, and you said something that I wrote down and really, really cherished and loved. Uh, my last name, Bashara, is Lebanese, uh, and it means the good news. And you you said something in that conversation that really stuck with me. And in many ways, the, the Bible or the New Testament gets called the good news, but specifically within the New Testament, the good news is it is the prodigal son. It is Christ coming for us, it, it pursuing us, the roomy quote of what you seek is seeking you, to what um, you just mentioned, it is that um, everything I have, you have. Yeah. And I am with you always. That is the good news. Um, do you mind restating it um, in the way that that you may have said it during that conversation? It was it was I mean, some, uh, that I'm paraphrasing that it's something around everything I have is is yours. It's um, I am always with you, and everything yeah. I have is yours. Yeah. Which see, okay, I want to get a little to your story to give people some context because you and I both yeah. grew up Christian, and a lot of uh, Christ scholars, I would say, all the ones that I found agree that the prodigal son is sort of the undisputed, this is Jesus's closer, (laughs) to use comedian language. (laughs) This is like as quantifiable as we can be to 2000 years ago. This guy said this and Mm. said this a lot. We, we have it, you know, in, in one place, I believe it's in all four of the gospels. I'm not positive about that, but chances are Jesus, like most teachers went around and did his bits. Like Mm -hmm. he, he, Ram Das, he's like, I'm going to play some oldies. Yeah. Yeah. He he does the hits, man. Yeah. Something great Ram Dass says. He goes, some of you may have heard this, but think of how many times I've heard it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is such a great way to concede, like, I know. And also to remind the audience, I'm saying words that I've said before, but I'm still with you. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm here with you. Forget about the fact that you've heard this joke before or whatever. Yeah. So Jesus said, the prodigal son. And there it was. So we're talking about... All these, everybody that's not with us is going to burn forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're in our safe uh, church, and and they're all out there gnashing their teeth on the Somehow side of the we... big battalions, as Alan Watts used to say. <laughs> the side of the what now? On the side of the big battalions, we're safe. We're on the side of the big oh. battalions. Um, yeah, as, as Alan Watts, I think um, it should be noted that our two podcasts probably mention Alan Watts more per minute than maybe any yes. other. Other podcasts, but the very notion, but the very notion of another self. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! If I smoked cigarettes for twenty years, I could really laugh like that. that. Is awesome. It's of course absurd. (laughs) (laughs) It's 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 basically just Doctor Strange. Um, That's so good. But how we built that we're safe here behind the biggest battalions on the back of a story of a guy, the the son who is born into paradise, he is a child of God, who leaves and does every, and looks for it in the startups, looks for it in the drugs, looks for, dude, go ahead. By the way, nobody ever goes like, what an idiot. You're just like, yeah, go look where the culture is telling you to look. Mm-hmm. Go spend some money, go even, even fall on your face and eat with the pigs. You know what I mean? Which as a Jew... That was even worse than we can imagine. It wasn't just dirty. It was actually, you are now an unclean person. So literally do the worst thing 
that your people could imagine. And then come back. And then the father, who obviously represents God, says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Meaning you never left. You can't go anywhere. Where can you go mm-hmm. that isn't played on the screen of awareness? Mm-hmm. This, this, that, is, that is the piece. When you recognize that I make my bed in the depths and you are there. I go to the heavens and you are there. So mm-hmm. that is the good news. And, and somehow the, the, the biggest hit, the most, it's so inclusive, it actually becomes toxic to most tribes because it's too, it's too right. loving. It's oh, too yeah, forgiving. We don't, you can't build we don't a, want it. a political uh, self-policing community um, with, with that line. Yeah, no. It's the parents that are like, oh, I, 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 you know, it, it, this is maybe tricky. I don't know. But it's like we think we need to have the, the, the whip in the other hand, mm-hmm. you know, to keep people in line. So anyway, tell that is that. What Did you have something else on the Raghu thing before I steer no, just, you towards? I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that with the world there. And, and I think you may have even mentioned it during our conversation as well. That that is the good news, and that is the gospel. Yeah. In in a sentence, that's the Bashara. <laughs> yeah, that is the Bashara, exactly. And and it's um, and I had just I had always just I think thought of the good news as the New Testament, and it's uh, it's twenty seven books or however many it is. I think it's around there, and and just thought oh, I got to read every word. That's the good news, and I got it's a long yeah. ass letter. Of someone sending me some good news, but I'm going to read it all and try to figure out, okay, piece it all together. And yet you simplified it down to such a um, Christ-like degree. I grew up Catholic, Roman Catholic, uh, happy to share um, my background, but I grew up Roman Catholic and uh, it I still, I'm probably probably more Christian than, I, than I've ever been, but um, Christianity being that North Star, not churchianity, not um, what they settled on in 1996, Dallas, Texas. This is the me- this is the message. This is the interpretation, yeah. but a more participatory, um, mystical openness of of having mm. my own interpretations, and and yeah, maybe maybe that takes me to some dark places. But I would rather know the truth because I feel the truth uh, versus parrot that I know the truth just because I heard it from someone else telling me. That's it. it that, well, that's mysticism, experiential uh, knowing. Participati- yeah, participation, right. This, this is, again, a big Rupert thing is like the mind will always knows objects. It, know, it knows objects and implies a subject. So there's always like this division. So there's always going to be this frustration that your mind can never fully come with you. Mm-hmm. So I want to get to your experience of non-dualism and all that sort of stuff. And I, I want to hear about those dark places. And I, I, this is how I'm going to phrase it is I'm maybe like you in that I drove so far away from Christianity <laughs> that I was like taking psychedelics and uh, exploring the wisdom of the East and, of course, finding our raspy laughing Alan Watts and mm-hmm. then rounding around Eckhart Tolle and now p- finding Byron Katie and then now finding Rupert uh, Spira. And then like around at, at a certain point, if you're driving on Richard a little bit. Richard Rohr? Like the, 
the, Richard Rohr. The brilliant, towering genius of Richard Rohr. Yeah. Right. And But that's what happened is I drove so far away from Christianity, I actually came back to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I actually just looped around. And now Val teases me all the time when I say I'm not a Christian because, I mean, that is so much the language that I... Your first, the first cut is the deepest. Tell me your journey. Tell me about the darkness. Tell me about going from Catholic. Tell me everything. Sure. So, and I'll, uh, maybe I'll uh, Tarantino style tell you a little bit of the end and, and, and then go to the beginning. But uh, to what you're saying of that revolution, you know, um, mm-hmm. the full revolution really just takes you back to where you started. And, and it's a, uh, there's, about six weeks ago, I went to – I study with an ashram in, in India each morning and I study Advaita Vedanta, which it sounds uh, foreign or hip depending depending on um, what people have been reading. But it really just means non-dual end of knowledge or end of the Vedas specifically. And the Vedic scripture is perhaps the, the oldest compilation of philosophy in um, – in the world, we really don't even know 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 years of oral tradition and, and written wow. um, and uh, around 4,000 B.C. finally kind of codified in a written form in um, 4,000 B.C. To give a sense for how old that is, the first – that's Vedanta. The end of the Vedic scriptures is essentially the source of, of nearly all Eastern philosophy. It all comes back to the Vedic scriptures uh, as its source and the Upanishads, which is the end of the, the Vedas. It's also a synonym for Vedanta. End of the Vedas, Vedanta, Anta uh, means and Vedas, you know, Veda, Vedanta. And you have Upanishads, which are just another name for the end of the Vedas. It's where all of the philosophy and the Vedas are. Because the Vedas also, the Rig Veda, or the, the, they'll include how to, how to uh, eat properly, how to, um, literally how to kill in a war. I mean, it covers like everything about life. Wow. But the end of it is the philosophy of the manual for living, how to live uh, from an interior place and approach each situation and scenario from that interior place. And so I, I studied with this, this ashram um, in the mornings, just online lectures, so beautiful. Just do it before sunrises. And I've been doing that for several years now. Um, and I went to go visit the ashram for the first time in person because it's so just 2021 and 22, you can just, you could do it from your phone and from my iPad. Mm-hmm. So um, I was like, I, I will go visit in person, but um, the leader of this ashram is, is maybe one of the greatest philosophical uh, authors of the 20th century. And so you, you can just tap into so much of the wisdom without visiting. So I go visit in person and have the conversation with my parents and my parents-in-law, the conversation that has been – this was over Christmas. That has been maybe a decade in the making of telling them I am not uh, the conventional Christian that, that uh, you So would, they didn't know. They knew that I loved – philosophy they knew that i loved eastern philosophy they knew they probably if they listen to any of my podcasts they knew that i loved vedanta i mentioned in my first podcast of just the the three biggest events that have shaped my life and i mentioned vedanta um and i had friends sending me emails uh of long emails of like are you going away from from christianity and 
And I think anyone that presents really, yeah, yeah, it was very Texas. I mean, Bible Belt, Texas, but also very communal. We keep everybody in the community, keep it together, and we do not want something rocking the boat, some new piece of information rocking the boat. Where did you grow up, Pete? I grew up outside of Boston. Yeah. Well, you know, my favorite parable is you were used to new information entering the mix in such a cosmopolitan city. We did our best impression of of the South. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meaning, I mean, I remember in my youth group, my friend Thomas kept talking about Taoism. He was doing it to be a scamp, but he was also reading Taoism, and we were in high school. So that he was definitely doing it to, I think, first and foremost, to be a disruption to the youth group. But we, he wasn't, like, whipped or reprimanded, like, hard for that. Well, that's that rebelliousness. Um, so I, I, so I, I tell them that I go to the ashram, and I want to touch on that rebelliousness um, because that's such a sign of vitality and thinking for oneself. Maybe it was as a scamp, and maybe he was like, "This thing is a fucking sham, and I need to well, I think break he, down yeah. this this uh, temple." Um, when I look at it, it was a very uh, sort of baller move to mm. keep quoting. The Tao Te Ching. Dude, Lao Tzu's there. Our, our guy- frustrated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boy, we put that guy through hell. We really did, my youth pastor. <laughs> I feel bad sometimes because we really. Well, he also just seemed sort of. What what else could he do? But he just seems too good to be true is one way to put it. You could also say maybe he rang phony, like in that Holden Caulfield catcher in the rise mm. sort of way. He was always happy and always – and we were like, we'll see about that. Like we really wanted to see if we could break him. Why did we do this? Why, <laughs> I, would, you, honestly, why would you beat him? I, I think that's, that is like the intellect – What it, my teacher that – so I – well, I'll, I'll finish the ashram story real quick. And, I, I wrote that, down rebelliousness. And so, uh, yeah. So, we, James, so don't well, worry. Well, it's, uh, it's my teacher, Joseph, that that just yesterday, yesterday, yeah, was telling me about uh, rebelliousness as being a really strong virtue and why. But the um, – so I go visit the ashram and have to explain why I'm going to India for 11 days in December and leaving my two little ones and my wife and, and their daughter and and – and just kind of coming to a head, also, this is weeks before, um, I, I just launched a new project called Yoga for Your Intellect, which is conversations with my teacher. The conversations mm-hmm. that I've had with my teacher, Joseph, who's been studying Vedanta for 25 years, I, we decided last year we should put these conversations, record them, put them out there for anyone that's, that's interested. And um, if you just search YFYI on your, your podcast, it's the most important thing that, I'm, that I am working on. By far, I could talk about magic mind for days, tech investing for days, um, but nothing is as important as uh, to that to how we kicked it off. Of, um, mm-hmm. I don't believe in anything else, and mm-hmm. I, I really have very little interest in talking about anything but God. Um, and and so I have this conversation with my parents in law of, in their eyes, moving away from Christianity, moving towards hell. Moving towards yeah. hell and eternal damnation, um, and I'm having that type of for people listening that don't that, that think of why this would be uh, a tense conversation. Parent, these uh, your parents-in-law 
genuinely think you are going towards eternal fiery damnation and you're dancing with their daughter on this line. And Val and I were just talking about this, the spiritual head of the household idea. Yeah. Still being a thing. Mm. I mean, their uh, Val's parents never said to me, like, you're the spiritual head. But uh, I, I, you know, I think there's still some of that kicking around, not just Definitely with them, I just Texas. mean in Christianity. Yes. Yeah. And not just Texas. Yeah. Not just yeah, Texas. Yeah. That's right. It's, it is, it is certainly. You're going to corrupt their daughter. Right. And that's so, that's how, that is how um, important this conversation is to, to, to them and to our dynamic, our relationship. But I'm having this conversation with them where they're, I imagine that is where they're thinking I am going and, and likely going to take their daughter and their granddaughters. And that was two weeks um, right before I went to India. I, we attended a church here in San Francisco or in, uh, in uh, Los Angeles. We moved to L.A. About, about a year and a half ago. And we attended a church here called Vintage each Sunday. And, and I was um, crying during one of the hymns, during one of the songs. Where it's uh, the lyrics um, were singing while going into death and darkness, hmm. and that's you know it's a, a lyric in a song that we're singing after the sermon, and and to truly appreciate the depth of that sentiment of this Christ singing while going into death into the darkness. I mean, it's, it could bring tears to my eyes right now if I, if I let it on this uh, podcast. Mm, but mm, feeling that so deeply and, and feeling a proximity to the depths of that sentiment that I've never felt before because of my daily study of uh, because of non-dual, non-dual, If non-dualism. I'm hearing you correctly... This, we're having the same experience. I'm reading these weird, whacked out, whacked out hippies mm-hmm. like Ramdas, and there's a page in Be Here Now where he's like, people that get sort of, he would say, turned on, like turned mm-hmm. on to living spirit, then sometimes go back to church and they're the weirdos mm-hmm. that are like, I can't handle it. Mm-hmm. As long as a hymn doesn't get into some sort of agenda and is just sort of, uh, I, I don't know, in line with something eternal, as opposed to like, some some guy I don't know just writing a contemporary love song to Jesus. Yes, then I'm I'm right there with you. Like I start to understand, and there that is it, that it's and there more. is plenty of that. There is plenty of that. That is, um, I think, to at least my my experience, misguided. But there are also uh, there's a lot of love in those places too, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it can be. I, I think you know. I think someone you could you could live a pretty happy life being an atheist, getting married, going to church, and taking your kids there, just because there is so much. There is you can yeah. get rid of the uh, the 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 parts that don't speak to you, but there is a lot of love there as well, and mm-hmm. and especially when you're keyed in on on finding this wisdom or keyed in on this uh, as as Richard Rohr, which you you turned me on to Richard Rohr. Brilliant. I, I have digested – man, I've probably gone through 12, 15 hours of his stuff 
on YouTube. Oh wow! And and Holy one of the things shit. and one of the things that he says very uh, plainly, so beautifully, is uh, Christ was perhaps the first non-dual teacher in the West. Um, yeah. At least to have that type of influence, it is so counter to the the Old Testament, and and yet in a non-dualistic way, a beautiful non-dualistic way, it builds on what exists. It's an evolution. Not, hey, I'm yes. here to throw it off um, to get rid of it, but I'm here to build on it. That is... Um, that well, is that's the inclusive typical. message. Right. That's, I, he, Richard makes two really interesting points about how the shape of God or the image of God sort of evolves through the book that we call the Bible, the collection of, of books that we call the Bible. And he's like, that's not a mistake. It, it, it's like, as with this book, so it is with you. Like, mm. you're going to start more like this and you and hopefully you'll get to more oh, like wow. this not 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 certainly not to put down uh judaism I, I know there's evolution in the old testament itself you know it's not all slaughtering the priests of baal or whatever mm-hmm. whatever is the sort of harder to digest parts of it um and he also says that the fact that christianity is married to this other faith was the biggest message of inclusivity mm. you could have it's like right there in the pews right. is a message of in- inclusivity that we again what was my first example jewish people are going to hell their book is stapled to ours uh-huh. and it's not, and it's not just to prop up ours it's it's this it's this marriage it's mm-hmm. it's it's a oneness it's so yeah to get i want to f- know about how you found your teacher and i really want to hear about this um about this uh trip yeah but i also maybe before we get into it i know i've we've both talked a little bit about what non-duality is could you for people that are maybe lost when you say that sure what, and what are, uh, what are they talking about and so yeah that i guess i i gave the that the, the uh, end of the story is I'm I'm weeping in church. Maybe not weeping. Oh yes, I'm sorry. But tearing in yeah. church, crying because I'm so moved by this uh, this understanding, empathic understanding I've never had. And then two weeks later, having a conversational with a conversation with parents in law that think I'm going to hell. And it's that that is. Um, such an interesting contrast, and I've been I've been reflecting on that. Of I'm more probably in the direction that they would ever want from their own uh, book and understanding. Yet it's not um, in the formula that they've been told, and therefore it right. can't be true. So, but the beginning of the that's that would be you were ordering off menu, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I and yeah, I yeah, yeah. accidentally you know. I uh, yeah ordered a la carte, and you, you do not do that with Christianity and the the modern churchianity. You do not order a la carte; um, it's prefix. So um, the beginning of the story and, and where Vedanta crucifix. Yeah, the uh, the, <laughs> the menu is crucifix. <laughs> Dude, Peter, oh, so good. Dude, so good. You are in the right yeah. game. You are in the right game. <laughs> Get real. Um, Come on. I love this. So, uh, so Advaita Vedanta, um, which means non-dual, end of the Vedas or end of knowledge. Non-dualism is, I mean, simply put, you can view the world dualistically of uh, any type of separation. Me and you having this conversation. Me, the tree. Me, the ocean. Um, this person uh, and and that me and God, um, and 
a subject and an object and any, any version of that. And then the non-dualistic, uh, non-dual, I'm sure you probably touched on it in the podcast, but um, you could say there's two or you, you'd think you could say, okay, or there's just one. But oneness has this slight imperfection in, in articulation or linguistic articulation because then you, uh, it implies there's a border. It's like mm. it's a great way instead of saying two, there are one. That is great um, for 90% of the time that you reflect on it. But then after maybe a few hours, you say, wait, but is there anything on the other side of that one? Is there a border? Because with oneness, you imply um, that there's an, a, a border linguistically. So then the, the language, um, the chosen language is non-dual, not two. So mm-hmm. not separate. But there is no affirmative. In fact, uh, one of the great ways of describing um, the infinite is neti neti, not this, not this. And it's define the uh, the inf- the infinite, uh, at least in that direction, can only be defined through negation. Not this, not this, not this, not this. Until mm. you realize, okay, linguistics or language is failing me to try to define this. It can only be felt. Uh, so that's what non-dual means. I'd be happy to give um, a breakdown of what Vedanta is in like three minutes if you want. Are you crazy? I'm loving this. I also just want to – I feel like – I don't know why I'm saying this. I feel like maybe I should be embarrassed, but I'm not embarrassed. I've never really heard it explained. I, I knew that it was – there was wisdom in calling it not too, hmm. non-dual. But I never heard it explained like that, and I really appreciated it. That's all I wanted to say. If, if anyone takes anything away from this conversation, entire conversation, it would be um, to check out – this one book that I think is going to become one of the most influential books of the 20th century because of the philosophy within it. And it's a Vedanta treatise. And it's um, just don't even feel like you need to read the whole thing. Just read the first three pages. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel. uh, Not to say, Oh, your book sounds like Rupert. Uh, You can read the introduction to Mm -hmm. Rupert's book. And and I heard you say this about Vedanta. Um, One a joke I was going to make, the translation of Vedanta uh, seems to be, um, just get to it. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, just, I know it's called the direct path, too. It's like, can you just cut cut right to it? And you said on Below the Line, you're like, the first chapter says it, the second chapter says it again, mm-hmm. the third cha- And that's how Rupert's books are. You read the first three pages. It's just like you're saying. And you're like, oh, like... I, I'd love to. I'd love to hear you about. I, I can sometimes start to trip a little bit, like in that way that trees look like a non-object to me, and and my curtains. I'm usually reading in bed, and the curtains that I'm looking at are suddenly moving. I don't mean in a creepy way. I mean in the way that they are. They mm-hmm. are moving ever so slightly, and my eyes become aware of that because somebody reminded me of the whiteness of the page. Mm-hmm. Someone reminded me of what always is. Right. And who I am. Right. Uh, so yeah, I'd love to hear if you have any experiences of that, but also I'd love to hear you explain I, it. I do. I have, I have had experiences in the psychedelic realm, and they are – there is something – but I, I love Alan's uh, – Alan Watts's quote of once you get the message, hang up the phone. And I felt like, okay, I got that message. Rob Doss even talks about it later in his, his career. I, I, if anyone's interested in, in YouTube content for eons – it's fascinating is I love Alan Watts, Ram Das, Terrence McKenna, 
um, because they're just they're the ultimate just as entertainment, pure entertainment because they're the ultimate questioners. They yes. are consummate questioners of everything that we take for granted, but deep down we question ourselves. But we were told at six, seven, at thirteen to stop questioning. And and they do it in such profound, beautifully articulate ways. I just I just kind of close the screen and I just listen to to um mm. this these these brilliant um erudite articulate questioners question these things and uh tell yeah oh go ahead sorry i was gonna say i was, I was just steering you go, go ahead please finish and then i'll steer you <laughs> well they well i was i was just gonna say on that um tripping that's with vedanta it's it's it is not so much tripping as it's an unveiling and the word and we've i think we've chatted about this um the word apocalypse the root of apocalypse the greek root is not fire brimstone it is yeah the unveiling yeah when when somebody explained to me that the end of the world is something that happens to you mm. <laughs> you know what i mean exactly. i'm not saying Obviously, there's there's infinite potentials for physical uh, doom for right. sure, uh, but the, but the end of the world is um, a good thing for you to experience. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? That that is like yeah. a, a type of awakening. We were alluding to it earlier: is, is stop looking for it out there mm-hmm. and start realizing that it's it's all in here. Um, but you have the three minute thing. You also, I feel like I cut you off a Vedanta treatise. Tell me a little bit about what that book means to you. Cause I interjected sure. there. And then I can give the, a brief synopsis on Vedanta, but, uh, the, the, the right. And Rupert, uh, Spira is a, he is, uh, a teacher of, of Advaita Vedanta and he, call, these are just words. And so it's, it's really is uh, the philosophy is what matters, not what it's called. You could call it Advaita and use Sanskrit, or you can just call it non-dual. Um, Richard Rohr, the Franciscan uh, priest, uh, he is, is a non-dualist teacher, um, it seems, for my 15 hours consumption, and and really taps into the non-dualist nature of Christ, which is just so in plain sight. And, and yet, um, it is valuable and powerful, and Vedanta uh, would say, use the non-dual to get to the dual, which is in other words use your desires to hook on to something you know you don't just get rid of desires in an instant but use that wiring for desire to hook on to a higher ideal a higher desire a higher purpose use that wiring hack it to hook on to something higher and then from there go higher and higher and higher until you get to the non-dual understanding I love that because as I'm reading, sometimes I catch myself and I, I say this with compassion. I could dissociate and say I catch my ego and I will. I catch my ego going like, oh, th- this is powerful. Mm. You, you ever have that yeah. feeling? You're like, this is Every something day. everyone would like to know. And this is how to say it. Mm. And you get the, it's Jesus in the desert. You get like, are you sure you wouldn't like to be? A big shot. I'm paraphrasing the devil, of yeah. course. <laughs> and and I recognize that, and I go exactly what you're saying. I'm like, look, if Pete is uh, a desirous, thirsty, lustful, and I don't mean just for sex. I mean like he just wants, 
and he likes experiences and he likes feeling trippy. Fucking fine, man. If that's the fuel in the car, right. I don't care as long as the car is driving in the right direction. Right. Pete can be whatever Pete is, but I'm just so glad that we're getting this beautiful ape named yeah. Pete to do this uh, self-destructive, meaning like small self-dissolving mm-hmm. work because it has just enough sweetness on the outside to keep him engaged. Right. It disguised his peace or happiness or contentment, all these things that we all want. I'm like, man, carry it up the stick. I, I need some motivation sometimes. Yeah. And that is, and it's so uh, beautifully, uh, one way that I love the way that Vedanta gets described often as the practical philosophy. It is practical. It is not esoteric and you know Hegel, Kant, and and Nietzsche, and you just can't understand. It. And you're like, where the hell does this fit in outside of a sounding smart at a dinner cocktail uh, kind of conversation? And the truth is, mm. it's so practical. If you uh, there's a story of 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 one of the followers of the Buddha went up to him and said, I, I want to follow you, but I have such cravings, such strong cravings for money and women. And he said, Follow me, you'll get all of that. <laughs> And, and, and there's not a renunciation. That's one of the biggest, I think, misconceptions about uh, a spiritual path is that it's not a renunciation of these things. It is, it is the fulfillment of this satisfaction you're yearning for. And mm. you'll be far better at your job. You'll be far better in relationships with others. You'll be far – your community will straight up cre- – they will not let you leave because you're going to be so invaluable to them. It's like that unselfish, competent coworker that we all know um, mm. that you think about. You're like, how do we make sure that that person never leaves? She is too is- damn good. We gotta get, I'm going to preemptively get her, give her raises. I'm going to check in. How are you doing? And yeah. it's because she brings this unselfish competency to, to work. Um, you can't get – you can't help but to get competent if you're bringing unselfishness to work. And then you become the most valued person and honestly, typically the happiest person at work, even in spite of the CEO. Mm. I, I, I sold my last company to Airbnb and that I can tell the longer version. But the um, one of the biggest experiences of that was sitting next to the CEO and uh, we sat at the same desk for two years and just – he was not the happiest person at the at the company. He was tired as hell, a lot. Mm. And he's this brilliant. is the CEO of, of Airbnb, Airbnb or your CEO of Airbnb oh, well. versus um, probably maybe three. He should layer- have gotten an Airbnb and taken a weekend. <laughs> yeah, he, too much work. <laughs> Just, too much sorry, work. Allowing all of us, yeah. allowing us to lounge. Um, but uh, yeah, but yeah. So it's and but someone three layers deeper. Um, that maybe is working with this, this beautiful unselfishness might be the happiest person at Airbnb. And I think there are a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew who those people – my friend Lenny was a perfect example of that. Everyone wanted to work with Lenny, get him on his team. You want, he was just given raise after raise, promotion after promotion, and the most uh, unselfish coworker there. So there's a very practical nature to what I'm about to explain with – with Vedanta, and I think it's the most empowering three minutes when it was explained to me that I've ever heard in my life. So I'd be happy to to dive. I into would that. love that. I just want to echo what you just said. One of my favorite points, and it actually, 
I, I will point this out. There, there's a story in my book about a pastor who's sort of mean to me um, and, and questions whether or not you could be a Christian and a comedian. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was a fair question. I just didn't love the way he asked it and the implications of asking it. And I'm still sensitive about that. Yeah. Anyway, that same guy gave a sermon that I always think about, which he's like, Christians are supposed to be salt and light, meaning Christ people, mean, meaning Christ, meaning everything that erupted after the Big Bang, people that have not forgotten their connection to all that is, the Christ, mm-hmm. the Tao, the knowing itself, uh, isness itself. Those people are attractive. Salt is mm. flavor. Light is light. Jesus drew a crowd. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like how we got from that to finger wagging or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or or like join me or die. All of this stuff that just makes my ding dong get pool sized. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That, that is, it's, it really is disempowering. In fact, and it's, you know, as the Buddhists say, the right tool used in the wrong way becomes the wrong tool. So you take this message, yeah. you use it in the wrong way, you take certain words. Um, anyone can cut themselves with a knife um, or make a beautiful dinner. And so it is a, uh, mm. it is certainly just a message. And and if you if you hear it and employ it in the right way, wow, the empowerment that you can provide people. Um, you employ it as a as a kind of self-policing mechanism within your community as if everybody's four years old um it's it's going to do ram das actually says this he said if you're going to teach the dharma you damn well better be dharmic uh meaning if you're going to teach the message you better well have received the message or else you can do incomparable damage when you mentioned Gandhi and you said experiments in truth, I thought you were going to say my life is my message. Mm. And one of my favorites, I think maybe you said this on the first episode of Below the Line. You said, I didn't come to learn from my master. I came to watch him tie his shoes. Mm. Does that sound familiar? I maybe said you didn't long, say that. Sound, but sounds like something I would say, but it was maybe two years ago. So I, I, um, Man, I'm not sure. I, that is it. I, I don't want someone to tell me about happiness or peace. I want someone who unquestioningly I go, that's a happy, peaceful person. Mm. So I don't want to learn from – it's one of the things I like about watching Rupert online or listening to him talk is where I would get frustrated. <laughs> I'm just watching a guy, watching him tie his shoes. Mm-hmm. I don't want to learn from Rupert. I want to see him in line at the Enterprise mm. in the New Mexico airport <laughs> that I was in. Uh, and it took it took an hour and a half just to get to the – middle of the line mm. that's where the rubber meets the road so that that salty lighty person that you're talking about that is unselfish and has some awareness of their interconnectedness with all things and i would add to that a simultaneous awareness of the precious preciousness and the impermanence of all things mm. so that leads to a sort of cosmic joke look at this I'll say it to you right now, James. Look at this weird dream we're having. This mm. is this is <laughs> right. Look at this weird dream we're having right now. This is weird. We're creating. That's the smiling that we're creating. Look at that's the smiling person in the line in the Enterprise. And I don't mean because they know as social animals. Maybe if I smile, I'll feel happy and I'll feel good. They're smiling because it's coming. Mm. That's that's the living water. That's the well. 
Jesus says it. It's the well of living water, a spring inside of you. Mm -hmm. There's a spring inside of you. And that, uh, we can all agree, there is a source inside of you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, that is, and that is where and, the smile in the enterprise line comes from. And even in that, that even in a dualistic view, you and your job, how does this affect me? How do I get more with this? Um, how do I get those, the money in women as that, that uh, story with the Buddha goes? The truth is that the universe is built to reward this behavior. Mm. And said another way, the universe is built to reject the selfish behavior. You might think you're getting yours on that Thursday afternoon that you say, hey, uh, I'm going to make sure that I'm covered here and it's going to leave out Joe's Joe, Sam, and, and Sarah, you might think you're getting yours on that Thursday, but the truth is within three weeks, three months, three years, whatever that act is, there will be a recalibration. And the other people that saw you do that now have a proper inventory of your values. There is, uh, there is a the selfish person that you've worked with, and everyone listening can, can think of that really selfish person, how, how short-lived whatever providence they thought they were creating for themselves ended up being. Mm. Similarly, mm. it's in degree, whatever selfishness you're bringing. Um, and, I, and I see this in my own life. Any selfishness that I'm bringing, it will just push whatever I want away. My, one of, the fam one of the, my favorite sages within Vedanta is a guy named Ramatirtha. He, he died about 100 years ago. And he's famous for many things. One of his quotes, he was giving a lecture to Americans on how to, to – I learned this yesterday of the context of the quote – on how to have a happy household. So talk about practical philosophy. This is not highfalutin in 90 years when you die. This is, it was just this is how to have a happy, happy household. One phrase, attach you lose, detach you gain. Mm. You're attached to your wow. four-year-old, they'll move away. You're attached to them never getting hurt, never getting sick. You're going to stifle their development and growth, and there's going to grow. There's going to be a growing resentment. You attach, you detach from, yeah, they might fall when they're one, but it's better for them to learn that they're, you know, how to stand up when they're one, two, three, four, then never fall until oh, they're 13. Okay. Uh, Jeff Bezos has a You're great quote around his kids saying, he, he's like, we decided early on that we wanted our kids um, – if, if Luxo ha had it, we wanted them to have nine fingers but be resourceful than to have all ten and not be. And that's detachment. Mm. That's, that's how you have strong relationships with your kids but also how they have strong relationships with the world. You're, okay. I mean so many things. I'll, I'll limit it to one or two here. But like you're talking to a dad. We have a bouncy house. We tried to rent a bouncy house, uh, not a big one. We have this tiny little front yard and we got a bouncy house for Leela's birthday and we've kept it. And yesterday, dude, I was throwing Leela, she's three, in such a way, with every throw, I was like, she very well might, like, she could hurt herself. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm kind of, like, I'm holding her like a plank, and then I'm spinning her. Mm. So she goes like, like a Mortal Kombat or a Street Fighter, it's Cammy in Street Fighter, basically. <laughs> she's spinning like that and landing. And every time she landed, 
there was a part of me that was just sort of relieved, obviously, that that wasn't the one. Mm. And we kept doing it because she wanted to do it. She, and she wants it more and more extreme. And that was a really visceral and, and it stood out as you were saying that. I was like, and she also had a friend over that I tried it once with him and, and, and he cried. Yeah. And I'm like, I understand. I actually think you're right. No. But like there's no. something. No, you, no, no. I, you, I, know, you know, I know. You know you're really right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but also when my, when my parents, Leela's grandparents visit, they, she doesn't want anything to do with them because they're too needy. They, mm-hmm. they want her so badly that I'm like, you have to demonstrate. And doesn't this sound spiritual? You have to demonstrate your own centeredness because mm. Leela can really smell uh, if you're looking for her to fill in gaps for you. And if you <laughs> no, and if you think hey, she's three, Leela's three. Yeah, she's three. Yeah. Did Did you choose her name Leela because it's uh, Shiva's yes. plaything? Yes. Yeah. That's that's beautiful. I've never heard it translated that way, but the dance, the yeah, dance, the dance of Shiva, or the dance, the yeah. dance of Shiva, or uh, yeah, Leela can be uh, translated as uh, in Sanskrit as um, Shiva's plaything. Leela was Shiva's plaything, and, and so the context of his relationship, the god of destruction, which is just so mm. beautiful in its own right. Of they revere, and there's a culture that reveres destruction as much as, mm-hmm. if not some. More so than creation, and and as Americans, you might not think that you revere destruction, but we love it, and I think in a very deep, yeah. deep way. It's I mean, that's that startup culture is we're going to disrupt this uh, this uh, industry. Yeah, we're, we're going to change. change it. We're yeah. going to improve, and that requires destruction. That's what all those swords are. All those Hindu gods that have swords. I'm like, what is the deal? It's like, yeah, man, they're here to kill you. Yeah. Like, or or the Chinese dragons at the entrance to some. It's like you don't get to go in. Mm. Like the real you gets to go in, but the rest is going to be ripped up. Right. Because it's, and you don't have to do anything. It's don't you worry about it. Yes. Don't worry about it. He's going to take it on. He's going to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's there's there's another. I feel like I'm. I don't want to tease out. I want to tell what Vedanta is, but there's just so uh, Ramatirtha also said, open your eyes and the universe teaches you Vedanta. So there's, there's so much Vedantic um, wisdom and nuance in what, even just what we're discussing. You, you playing with your daughter, Leela. I mean, that's so poetic. (laughs) Yes. That's so, so poetic. And, but her, but then she's going to have a better developed uh, in that, in that story, she's going to have a better developed sense of herself of direction of balance and yeah. in the child that cries because they haven't the the parents haven't fostered that sense of 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 balance maybe in that literal uh sense is will struggle or at least not have as good of a sense of balance the the point you made with is it your your parents that she smells the they come and, and you can smell it on them yeah they really want to kiss well she has never kissed either of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that is um i mentioned the practical philosophy that is the universe right there in in the metaphorical nutshell and that you can like if you get three pages into Vedanta treatise, and this is a this is a, a a true master that's been teaching. He's ninety four years old now, teaching it for sixty years, seventy years, and um, he took twenty one years to write Vedanta treatise. Uh, twenty one years, and he wrote it 
on the other side of of he had mastered Vedanta for years and then said, okay, my my message is going to be written and it's going to be written in English, which is in the a hundred years ago, Vedanta was seen as a, a secret philosophy that could only be taught in the in the Himalayas is the proper pronunciation. But um, we say Himalayas and then I get corrected. And the in the Himalayas well, uh, I know that from Ramdas, he says Himalayas. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so um, it's it is. It was seen conventionally as a secret philosophy that could only be imparted from teacher to student in the Himalayas. Until a hundred, about a hundred years ago, it starts to break, kind of break from that interpretation, and and a reinterpretation of the secret isn't that it needs to be kept between you and I. The secret is that which you do not know that I'm going to reveal to you. The secret mm-hmm. is with me, and as a teacher. Um, not me, because I have not uh, really understood the secret, even though it's been uh, – I choose for it to barrage my brain every every day until I do. But the, the secret is understood by the master imparted to the student, not in some secret co- covert location. And he wrote the book in English. Um, so it, you, know, it, you could be a teacher of this in 1950s and, and people would say, whoa, whoa, you shouldn't be teaching that in the streets of – of Mumbai, of, of Bombay, you shouldn't you shouldn't be teaching that widely to a thousand people. And he not only speaks to thousands of people for 60, 70 years, but he writes the book in English because he's like, there's no boundary for this information. And wow. it should go everywhere. We're putting this in the language of McDonald's. Like literally mm-hmm. like that, the same, the word McDonald's mm-hmm. will also have it done. There's, there's a powerful um, liberal spreading of that, right. obviously. Billion serps wow. uh, over the next... I, 100 years. Keep going, but I, I, I'm going to ask you, I, I'm sure, okay, I don't know. Are you in the middle of something? No, not at all. Because <laughs> I want to take issue because you're going to give us the – I love. this is my favorite. As a podcaster, maybe you'll appreciate this. This is my favorite space. We know what we're going to talk about next. Mm. You're going to give us the three-minute Vedanta. So there's a, there's, a, there's a wilting there. There's mm. a release of anxiety. As a host and as a guest, we know what we're going to talk You're about. You're a great so writer. We're in the bonus round. Right. This is all free throws. This is all just bonus. <laughs> it's easy. So I'm going to slow you down because you're talking about you study with a, a master, mm-hmm. um, and I want to hear all about him after the three minute thing. But I I know what you mean, James, because I'm in the same place. I know I don't fully know, right? And yet, and I really, I'm only saying this because I want to hear your experience. When you close your eyes, this is a Rupert thing, and say, am I aware? Am I aware? And the answer comes back, yes. It's the most obvious thing. Of course I am aware. Rupert would say in between those two, the question and the answer is this momentary experience of 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 it, mm. of meaning... His whole thing is that enlightenment or uh, the full embodiment of this truth isn't that um, special. He would say it's the most natural thing in the world. I have to assume your teacher would say something similar, mm-hmm. that it's natural. It's, it's, uh, Rupert also says, we're all clenching our fist. And he goes, and enlightenment seems like when you open mm-hmm. your fist, if you've been holding it closed for a really long time, you forget the effort you're making to close your fist. Mm. And then when you decide to open it, it feels like you're efforting it, but really all you're doing is stopping clenching. Mm. And he says, that's the same thing as like becoming realized in this way. 
All of that is to say, I have to think, you correct me if I'm wrong, that every morning you're getting up and, and zooming into this uh, uh, ashram, or you're reading Vedanta treatise, or you're or self-resting, which I prefer uh, to meditating. You're self-resting, mm-hmm. self-actualizing. I love that you be. say that. Uh, I, I want to know why in well, a second, but yeah, keep going. We can talk all about that. Of course, I got it from Rupert. You have to, I know, <laughs> you tell me, there have to be moments, flashes, tastes where you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Right? I think there is a, there is a knowledge that the truth, the infinite is, uh, it isn't, you there is a knowledge that I can't get a hors d'oeuvre. There is a knowledge that I know that once you reach that state, there is no going There's back. There's no going back. There's no going back. <laughs> and so with that knowledge, I'll, I will have these peak states. And, and honestly, it could be extremely mundane or it could be like, wow, this synchronicity is happening. And this is a peak state. It's not an isolated that would be quite not that would be quite dualistic if it's like I need to experience it quiet room in the middle of self resting. Now I've had some of those experiences where I was like, Whoa, what was that? But mm. but I know that that is so infinitesimal to how great, how grand the infinite would be forty thousand lifetimes, uh forty years, however long. Um and fully revealed. Yeah, f- when it's You fully think there's revealed. a huge difference between oh, Yeah, I you and I as students a momentary like oh. Well, here's <laughs> to, here's to, at the same tell me. Well, I think at the same time to what you're saying there's also um there's a lot of beauty in what you're saying of of these moments. It's it is as as my teacher's teacher and, and our teacher uh Swami Parthasarathy would say. Uh, that is the author of Vedanta Treatise. It is a thoughtlessness. And thoughts are, that is a pre-derivative of a desire. So your thought, six to ten seconds, um, every six to ten seconds you have a new thought. And this is research in the last three years. Um, Shows us we have a new thought every six to ten seconds. And that thought is going to be uh, precedent to some desire, to some analysis, to some preference, um, but I think it, it could be even anyone listening right now, you have these moments that are divine. When you are looking forward to that ice cream and you have that first bite, that beauty that you're feeling, that's cessation of desire. And it could be and as, the, and, as yes. mundane as ice cream. But that... That thing you've been looking forward to since before dinner, that great – you're going to Salt and Straw here in, in L.A. And, yeah. and you know what flavor you're going to get in that moment that you have it. That is that is that cessation of desire that every monk in human history has been searching for. Eastern, Western, Christian, uh, Zen – Vedantic, they're searching for that cessation of desire, and we we have those experiences. It's just a knowledge of knowing this is an impermanent, temporary version, and shit. I it's want a the temporary. Real thing. Yeah, that's that. Rupert says that that experience is 
part of the intuition that that's your sort of your natural state right. or that's a potential well, state. But when you get something new, Rupert gave his son a present and his son was was little and said, I love the feeling of getting something new. And he pointed out that his son didn't say, I love the thing. Mm. He just said, I love the feeling of getting something new. And he said exactly what you're saying, which is when you get something new, your brain has been harping on I'll be happy when, and you get it or you achieve, you sell your company to Airbnb, whatever it is, there's this moment of elation or I, I do a stand-up set and it goes really well. You're clear. You, your brain doesn't know what to want next. So there's a temporary moment where you are your true nature, which is fulfilled, spacious, empty, and timeless. And free of desire. Yes. Because you're free of desire, mm -hmm. That it, the what was veiling you was desire, mm -hmm. and that's why when I'm in line at the Enterprise, you remember that you're always home. Mm -hmm. You remember that mm -hmm. what you're seeking is looking out your eyes, or is also seeking you, or is right here. Where could it go? Where where else can you write life but on God? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like where else can you do it? Where where else can anything occur? But on the screen, we call God, right. uh, which is emanating from inside of you, including maybe someone's listening to this while they're in line at Enterprise. And that's going to be you're going to become enlightened right yeah. now. <laughs> well, that's, and I have had I, I remember in one of my um, I think it was in yoga for your intellect is this, this new project we just launched uh, this podcast and people can check it out. YFY.co and. Um, I'm really proud of it. It's it's really – I think it is my um, life's – it will be my life's work for, for many years to introduce uh, Americans and, and the West. Anyone. Anyone. Um, but yeah. certainly yeah. Um, there's like seven Americans that study Vedanta, so not many. Um, and so trying to introduce – Rupert's British. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rupert's British. And Alan Watts, and at the the year he died, Alan said in an interview. This is one of the biggest reasons that I that I even uh, took to Vedanta was in an interview. The year he died in 1973, he you know in so many of his lectures, and I know you know this. He he will wax so beautifully and poetically around almost any uh, philosophy of spirituality. He will talk about Taoism as he'll talk about uh, Christ. He'll talk about. Um, Zen, Buddhism, but he rarely ever reveals his influences, his metaphysics, and he s reveals it in this ep this interview of saying that he's his uh, two of his of his primary influences are Vedanta and uh, and Roman Catholicism. He was an Episcopalian priest, um, yeah, for five yeah. years. So that was just I was I was like, oh, that's what? so cool. And then I was like, what is that's this so Vedanta cool. stuff? And and then if you, if you read the book, maybe one of his most popular books. The book, the taboo against knowing who you are, with that Vedantic the book is lens. called the book. Yes, yeah, the book is the called book. the book, and you read it with that lens, that Vedantic lens. It is pure Vedantic all the way through, but he just doesn't use that word very often. Um, the mm. the uh, what I was just going to add to that your nature is the Bhagavad Gita, um, who, who Gandhi, for example, lived his whole life according to the Bhagavad Gita. It was his, his solace, uh, Emerson, Thoreau. The, the the transcendentalists they studied the Gita every morning um, Hawthorne I mean these uh, these founding intellectuals of of American intellectualism bathed themselves each morning in the Bhagavad Gita 
such a badass story, by the way, of just uh, this warrior prince. It's so not typical for a philosophical, a spiritual work, but um, the the general color is it's a the one of the most revered warrior princes in the world, leading in a civil war, going to the middle of the battleground, breaking down and having a conversation with his charioteer, this guy Krishna, who's the embodiment which gets revealed in the story, the embodiment of God. So it's this, it is basically the king of kings, everything you would want type of person about to be in this fork in the road of really important decision. Do you fight or do you flee? Having this breakdown in this conversation with God. And the whole Gita could in many ways be summed up philosophically. The first word is Dharma um, and the last word is Mama. And mama means mine, my nature. So the whole Gita is is trying to explain to this warrior prince his true nature. And mm. and that's what Rupert is talking about. That's what any um, great Vedantic teacher is talking about is this is your true nature. Mm-hmm. All of these words are mm. just trying to unveil who you already mm-hmm. are so you can see what already is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Boy, I love that. So you mean literally the first word is first Dharma word. and the last word is mine. Mama. Wow. I, I didn't know if you were summarizing it in your own language. That's really, really cool. Yeah, true nature. The, I, I wonder what image your teacher uses because Rupert uses a movie screen, mm. which I he's he, like, I'm looking at you on my computer screen right now. This is going to get really trippy. Mm. And as I'm looking at it, I forget about the screen. Of mm-hmm. course I do. Right. Why? Why would I be going screen, screen, screen? There's James. James is on the screen. James is behind the screen. But of course, even on like if we could film this with a a very high speed camera with a high frame rate, we would see the black, you know, in between. Like my mind is – the screen is in between. It is the essence of everything that I'm seeing. Right. It is imbued within everything I'm seeing. And this is where it gets really beautiful it is unaffected by everything that is on the screen. Mm. You could be yelling at me. The screen is the same. Mm. You could be dancing. The screen is the same. You could be ugly or me, anything. The screen is, so he's like, that is your true nature is you think you're the movie when really you're the screen. And, and, mm. and that, I mean, I, I'm not it's, doing. You, no, everybody should hear. It's brilliant. You should read "Being Aware of Being Aware." It's 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 an amazing book, and it's very short. It is. Um, yeah, that's. But what that was your a, teacher's? Well, what me, was there? I'll image? give you. I'll give you the um, the synopsis on on Vedanta, perhaps, and and it's a that's uh, a great segue. And this part of the the metaphor that he uses comes from the Mundakya uh, Mundakya Upanishad. So it's. I don't know, thousands of years old. And and it is a very uh, archetypal metaphor that gets used within Vedanta. But um, should I jump into a three-minute explanation of what all of this is? Yes. Okay, uh, so yes. let's let's go into the dangerous category of not knowing what we're going to talk about after this. I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, uh, I'm just kidding. I don't, just, we will have no problem. Yeah, and the... <laughs> The uh, begin the seeing the end in the beginning and the beginning in the end. There's going to be beautiful. Yeah. I think um, I, I, I I'm interested in your thoughts as I say it because I usually will break this down and then uh, it could be absolute crickets. And I have a feeling for for you it won't be. So um, 
You could think about Vedanta in terms of – if there was a metaphorical book of what is Vedanta, you could think about it in terms of three chapters. Um, you know, a first chapter, introduction, a second chapter, kind of building up, and then a third chapter, um, the advanced stuff. And But it really is that simple, and, and the whole philosophy can be explained so simply. Um, the first chapter would start with essentially that – Life is a series of experiences. That's what a life is. That's what you and I know a life to be is. Oh, yeah, it is a stream of experiences. And mm-hmm. within one of those, let's take one of those experiences in your life, a unit of life, you could say, that experience is made up of a subject and an object. Uh, you and your environment. You and that circumstance of crushing it when you're um, delivering an amazing set or bombing early in your career and it's awful set there's the subject and its environment and if you want to improve an experience you can either try to change one or the other change the subject or change the environment so much of our energy is in in wiring in psychology is built around and mythology is built around oh if i want to improve my experience if if i'm pete and i want to improve my experience i got to improve my environment. I have to work on the environment. And Vedanta would say that is like pushing back a wave, that you cannot do it. There's just too much universal inertia in this environment, your environment, that it's like straightening the tail of a dog. It will just go back. And <laughs> and it, you cannot, you could try to spend your whole life in, in Silicon Valley since change the world. You could try your whole life to change the world. Um, and or said another way, you could try to burlap the entire world or wear sandals. Or you could say, okay, well, there's two parts here. Maybe it might be more efficient uh, to focus on changing the subject. So instead of changing the, I, the infinite without, you say, okay, maybe there's something to be changed within. That was one of the things that uh, Ram Dass's first teacher – so Maharaji didn't teach really. He just was the embodiment of the teaching. But Ram Dass had different teachers – um, I'm embarrassed that I'm forgetting his name. Mayor Baba? His first teach... No, it wasn't Mayor Baba. It was, it was somebody there at the ashram. Mm. He, he, one of the first things he wrote on his um, chalkboard, because he, he didn't speak, was uh, when a man wears sandals, when a person wears sandals, the whole world is covered mm. in leather, mm. which you just sort of alluded to. Right. It's, I just, I just so, wanted to interject that. No, and it's worth... Like, if someone finds any of this interesting, perhaps the best thing one can do is just re-listen to it. <laughs> and 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 instead of jumping, um, you know, spiritual tourists to the next thing, the next thing. I know, and we've mentioned some books that could maybe be that that third step, and maybe the second step is is listening to to this again. I know that it it took many times before the penny dropped. Before even that concept of like, oh, burlap the world or wear sandals. Holy shit. Work on myself. Or that consciousness is a screen. That's why all these yeah. books, you said that the Vedanta Treatise is repetitive. Rupert says like, look, this book is repetitive. That's mm. that's how this works. He's like, it's like a piece of music. I introduce a phrase mm. and then I do it again, but a little bit differently and again. Because like that's – they even say that verily, verily comes the word of God. It's in, it's in the Bible. It's the idea that it's repetition that that sort of unveils or breaks you from the trance. I It was last night, dude, that I finally started to understand what he means 
when we say that this table is made of consciousness. Mm. And I'm like, but no, it's over there. Mm. And just for a second, I, I closed my eyes and I was like, but like a word on a page, this table exists in my awareness, like a word on a page mm. or like an image on the screen. And consciousness is the page. Consciousness is the street is the screen. So I'm like, it's not me in the material sense. This table isn't me in the material sense, but it is me in the sense that everything is known by knowing, by knowing itself. Even my body is known as a sensation. You could you could visualize it like I'm touching my fingertips, and that travels up into a place where knowing happens, right. it, it, where the where the sensation is known, and that is the whole thing. Is is the knowing? Oh. <laughs> not not. Not what the eye can see, but that whereby the eye can see. Right. That's the whole show. Right. That's okay. Well, this is going to get really trippy here. So we have, <laughs> as I we, look at a screen, we have the uh, the. So we have that this this um, this idea that there's in an experience you have the subject and the object or the person in the in the environment, and this recognition of oh yeah maybe it is much better energy placed to to work within the subject. And then you start to turn inward, and and this is the this is one of the pennies that dropped for me. It was like, oh, man, I am trying to change everything externally. Instead of, mm. can I get comfortable with a home that's sixty-seven degrees or seventy-five degrees? In LA, we don't really have you know AC, and so it's <laughs> can that is so much easier than I've looked at how much it would cost to get AC put in and every every wow. place. I'm like, yeah, it actually is far easier for me to to work, and and that's you know a, a silly trivial example. But there's also it's not because I immediately run to it breaking. There's other things contingent to an uh, to an HVAC system mm. or whatever it's called. Yeah. And and a sweater is easier, but the, I think right. the mind would rather a problem than be forced to deal with its internal reality. Yeah, that's right. So it, it, yeah, yeah it, it is. It, and, and changing that internal reality, we're told, is is well, everyone changes the external world to get comfortable. That's I mean, talk about mm. uh, needing to the repetition to break through the trance we're in. The average American is exposed to twenty six hundred advertisements a day. Wow. So. It, I don't care how fortified your mind might be, you are going to succumb to a hypnotic trance of "I need this to be happy." I'm without this. I'm unhappy because of because of that. If I get this car, this degree, this, and and you are a thing that needs another thing. Mm. Like even that, in a subtle way, is reinforcing obviously mm. a, a dualism. That that's what when I treat. I have to. I, I don't see another option. I treat Leela as an object. She's uh, meaning not an object, but like another person, another mm-hmm. thing. She is slowly learning that she is another thing, even though mm. I, I, I don't think that is necessarily natural to her. And then the next thing on top of that, that we staple to that is, well, that thing needs this car or mm. that thing needs this, whatever, fill in the blank. Yeah. 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 It's, it is uh, never ending. And so, that's the first it chapter. It's never ending. <laughs> and that is that is the 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 first chapter in in this this book of what Vedanta is. It's this internal uh, perspective. The second chapter would be okay. So how do you improve that subject? Well, first it starts with understanding. You want to win a game, you got to understand it. So many of us, we want to change the world, change our lives. We have no idea what. Like it's like walking up to someone playing chess and being like, 
I don't get this game, but I wish these pieces were switched to white, black. I want to put some checker pieces down. I wish this piece was edible. Oh, that'd be great. And you're like, what are you doing? You didn't even sit down to understand the game. And so similarly, mm. in the subject, Vedanta just breaks down uh, the subject as, as three things. You have, a bo- you have three equipments. Your body, which we all know. And maybe the central contribution of Vedanta is this, that you have a body, yes, but within you, you have two equipments, not one, not just a mind that we're, all, that we're all aware that we have something within the body to work with. But you have this other, this second piece of internal equipment, this third equipment, body, a mind, and an intellect. And internally, you can use your intellect to guide your mind. In fact, if you don't do that, it will wreak absolute havoc in your world. As, as the adage goes, the mind is a wonderful servant but a terrible master. And mm-hmm. within this concept of body, mind, and intellect, this subject, improving the subject to improve the experience, there is this metaphor that gets used of the mind is like a river, a powerful river. The more powerful your mind, the more powerful the river is. And the, the intellect is the banks of the river. Keep it contained. Guide it to the ocean. Guide it anywhere. Guide it a thousand miles but without powerful banks, that river will flood the plainlands, kill the, cra- the crops, kill the livestock. It will kill everything. And its path will wreak havoc um, and just catastrophe everywhere if it floods every six weeks with weak banks. But if it has strong banks, you can build an entire civilization on it. You can build several civilizations on the banks of a river with strong, with strong on the strong banks of a river. The that body mind intellect breakdown is so key for me to for me to to hear this wise philosophy say something i'd never heard anywhere else that there's two internal equipments and we we almost colloquially know this cuz we say things like your mindset or like frame of mind but what sets the mind like with the i have to use am i using mind to set the mind and Vedanta would say, no, it's you're using an intellect to set the mind. Your mind is where your likes and desires, your preferences exist, but your intellect is what sees the end in the beginning, is what says, oh, eating all that sugar, uh, it's probably not good for you. It is that voice that we, um, that we talk about, that little voice that tells us maybe there's something better. So is the intellect what, what Rupert calls the knowing, or is that another? That, like, the knowing, itself? that would be, I think in Rupert, I'm, I'm only uh, – Service aware of Rupert's teachings, and I think he would be referring to the supreme being beyond the intellect. You use the the intellect to merge with the supreme being. I see. So the intellect is almost like a – it's an offshoot of the mind. The intellect, the intellect is the guru. That voice within you right now, Pete, anyone listening to this, that voice that you have in, in you right now, that is your guru. Oh, you already have it. You already have this – and it might be weak. It might be really weak banks. And you might be flooded every few weeks with destructive behavior, self-destructive behavior. But that intellect is still there talking to you. And like any muscle, by developing it, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. You see it work out. You see this delayed gratification work out magnificently. You see the opposite. You see, shit, those eight drinks I had last night. As you know, and this is just pure knowledge uh, becoming wisdom, knowledge kind of in form, is once you know these things, uh, the capacity to see the end of the beginning, just knowing that knowledge bomb, it can be something you start to apply later today of like, oh, 
can I fast forward two weeks, two years? Can I fast forward That's tomorrow? That's so interesting. And uh, yeah. I, um, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. No, no, go Sorry. ahead. I was just going to echo it as usual. I remember my friend Laura. We both um, we we struggle, and so does Val. We all our thing is like overeating. Like we eat for entertainment all the time, and it's a it's a challenge. And what Laura said to me, she goes, she goes, play out the tape, and that's mm. and that's what you're saying, right? If you can see the end in the beginning, and at my best, so when my intellect is functional and the banks of my river are secure, I go, Pete, you like talk to yourself, Pete. Listen to me. It's, so that means this is not Pete. <laughs> future Pete. It's me, future Pete. Future Pete. Yes, I'm pretending to be fu- – I'm posturing as future Pete. The feeling you'll get in the morning mm. that you didn't order a pint of ice cream. And, and James, if I order a pint of ice cream, I've never used the lid <laughs> on a pint of ice cream. That is a one-use device. <laughs> uh, I, you eat the whole fucking thing. Even though – and I'm sure there's some Vedantic interpretation here. After this is real. This isn't like fake piety. After the first, it's actually sad. The first third of it, you stop enjoying it, mm. and now you're eating just because you're chasing. I don't know some self shame, uh, some sort of you know. It's almost like um, you're chasing a belief. That's what you are. You eat the whole thing, uh, so you shame yourself or. Really, you might just be chasing every time you swallow, your brain goes, give me more. And you just like to baby yourself. I think that's what I'm doing, too. But like the times that I go, you'll be proud. And it's true. You wake up in the morning and you go, I feel fucking great that I didn't do that. That seems to right. be the intellect. Am I hearing right. you? Yes. It's you, you, you replace the desire for all things with the desire for all. And 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 eating that. Wow, that's great. And eating Sorry that. You just said that. <laughs> and eating the ice cream. What is interesting there is, we talked about that as a real example of cessation of desire in those first few bites. You you have that beautiful temporary cessation of desire. Right. But here's yeah. the thing: when your desire is placed on a thing, that ice cream. What you're really desiring is the all not all things but once you've already said no what i desire i'm i'm pretty sure this neural pathway it's things it is only a matter of time before a third of the way of the ice cream halfway through eating the ice cream the next desire pops up and it's to not eat the ice cream and you wish yes. you hadn't even had the first few bites yes and so you cannot have all things like it is, it is uh, impossible to have all things. But by just wanting one thing, you have just said, "Oh, my faith, my desire, uh, my completion is in a thing." That isn't it. But it got kind of close. Now let me s- stretch that to all things, and it and it breaks, tears, and it becomes quite impossible right in our faces. Where it's like, "Shit, I want the ice cream and to not have the ice cream." And and that is a, a knot that can only be untied with knowledge, in my view, knowledge of, oh, what I really want. This this is Rupert. He goes, you really want the peace and the happiness mm. that you are. Right. And you want to clean up that connection. So it's like a misappropriation of the desire. Mm-hmm. 
uh, like so you get the bite of ice cream and the and the desire goes away and this is a Ramdas thing he goes you eat ice cream and then you want water and then you need to go to the bathroom and then you're bored and you watch TV you get shitty and you, sleep and then you and then you got to have three coffees yeah. the next day yeah exactly it's and I think we I'll speak for myself. I think there have been times when I like that. I used to like getting drunk. I used to like being hungover because it was a project. Can I fix this? Can I can I baby myself into feeling better? Um, that that endless, I think it's what you'd call samsara. That treadmill of of illusion and desire. It seems to me. Uh, Vedanta is a way of getting off of it and going what I actually want and what actually satisfies. And again, it's not an intellectual knowing God. You know, I've done that game. I've done the like, all I need is God. Mm -hmm. You know, you sort of tell yourself. I mean, going in and finding the God, the God self in you Mm -hmm. and finding your rest and your satisfaction and your recreation Ramdas would say recreation. Find it there instead of, and then and then it's not as important whether or not you eat ice cream because you're not eating it in the same way. You're, right. Meaning you're not eating it to answer every question. Well, there is a, <laughs> a yeah, it's, and, and, or to solve the displeasure. So many of our, so many of our, so much of our pleasure seeking is to solve this disquiet that we have, and and the disquiet usually comes from the unsolved uh, pursuits. That it's like I thought this would be it. I thought this would be it, but it's and and this is again, yeah. What I love about Vedanta being the practical philosophy, like it's this is not highfalutin stuff to what we're talking about food uh, or addiction in general. Um, there's Vedanta has this beautiful articulation application, and it's use your desire, use this attachment that you have to ice cream or the the taste buds. The the perhaps neurochemical uh, uniqueness to you that taste is just it's it is more pleasurable for you uh, than than I don't know seventy five other seventy five percent of the rest of folks but you're in that camp of twenty five percent this just really lights me up neurochemically <laughs> but use that understanding yeah. and saying okay yes this lights me up neurochemically but you mentioned it but I then I have to drink a lot of water then I'm up three times at night. The sugar spikes uh, my whatever neurochemical that you are spiking, the dopamine that then has this crash for the next two hours after or, or if you're about to get sleep. You know, with alcohol, one glass of alcohol um, will decrease your quality of sleep by 23%, one serving of alcohol, wow. uh, two servings by, 40, by uh, 43%. So almost mm. half the quality of sleep that night by having those two beers or those two whiskeys that you're just like, man, this helps me fall asleep. But once you know it, once you have that knowledge, once you see the end of the tape, then you can use it to where you use it to your advantage and you just hijack your own desire and say, oh, what I, I actually really am addicted to waking up and feeling great in the morning. Uh, well, I love that feeling. Val just had her throat. Uh, she had a throat surgery mm. and I went with her to the doctor and they put the little scope in her mouth and we looked at her throat and it was all healed. And when you see what you're saying is like, when you know a fact, like two drinks fucks up your sleep almost by half. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is which is crazy. We could talk about the half life of coffee and why you should really stop drinking caffeine after I think like eleven a.m. Yeah, uh, ideally half life six hours, thing. meaning half of it's still in your system six hours later. Which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. I've heard eight hours, six hours. Okay, interesting. But when you see, so this is another one of those conversion moments. When you see how wet and pink and vulnerable we all are inside. Mm. Um, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the human body. It's beautiful. But it is just sort of like raw. When I say neat, I I don't mean to disparage it. It's just raw. It's exposed. On the outside, we have skin. On the inside, I just mean right here, right right here, like one inch into your mouth. And we're already in the raw, vulnerable place. And then it goes all the way down and all of the inside. You would not smoke a cigar <laughs> like you just wouldn't why smoke right. why like by the way i've smoked cigars and all that sort of stuff and there there were even times in my life when i had smoked cigarettes N- never as a smoker but you know what i mean like when you get that conversion knowledge that helps mm-hmm. you play it out and go like what i'm hearing you say james that i love is like ask yourself what do you really want if we can know what we're medicating I'm medicating the fact that everything I've tried up until this point, I mean, right now on on February 5th at 1.25 p.m., everything I've tried out there hasn't worked. It doesn't Mm -hmm. satisfy me. It's not working. And you you, in L.A., this world-famous, extremely successful uh, comedian, creator, you have also had your fingertips at pretty much everything the world could offer. Right. And that's right. And that I, that's where I, you get the people that are like, I'll find out for myself. And that's but fine, I'm, too. I'm fortunate. That's fine, too. I have figured out, of course, you're going to the ice cream or I, I don't I don't drink anymore. But of course, I used to go to the alcohol because I was in mourning. It wasn't mm-hmm. working. And now the things that are remaining, the food addictions or whatever, I it just takes that consciousness to stop and go, what am I medicating? Like, how am I let down right now? Why am I sad right now? Why am I destructive right now? And number two, then this is what I really heard you say. What do I really want? Not all things, but this is my language now. I want to rediscover or sink into my true self, which is inherently satisfied. Mm. And and, and, and having that mimetic desire of, of having people around you that want that as well. Um, yes. That, well, having Val is incredibly, <laughs> incredibly useful. It's, it, when there's two, two things that come to mind with, with what you're saying that um, one is, as the, as the Buddhists say, there's, there's a great adage of every step is a step towards enlightenment. So yeah, if you feel like it's in money, go for it. I will say the best way to get it is to practice is to have a practical philosophy, have the manual for living. And my mm. uh, experience, it's been Vedanta. I have been far more successful, far less stressed. I surf five times a week. I um, work maybe... No meetings on Wednesday. No, and no meetings Friday. on Wednesdays and Fridays. I just made it no, when, Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays. Um, and you're like a retired professor. Yeah, just Tuesday, Thursday. Just Dude, Tuesday, I Thursday. prefer the word aspiring philosopher. Uh, <laughs> not retired. Uh, no, but it is. It is. No, laughable. no, I no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm actually joking. It's laughable. Um, and that that they, that I've been able to create. It's, but it's beautiful. It's you. Know, what I really want uh, the articulation and the the 
terrestrial, or the mundane, and the profound is peace and prosperity. And, and Vedanta would also say that's what everyone wants, peace and prosperity. Mm. Not one, not the other, but both. And, mm. and, and a third aspect would be permanence in that peace and prosperity. And it's, so this is, uh, this is the route, this is the manual, um, in my view, to get those things because the other – Did we get oh, – go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, did we get to the third no, we, chapter? No, we didn't. We, were, no, we didn't. Yeah, we've been keep going. Uh, yeah, we've been. This I know. This is going to be. I, I have too much to add. This, no, this is this is this is a Tarantino film. Um, so the third thing, uh, is the third chapter, or the, I'll mention this 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 other Buddhist comment that that's really interesting. Here is um, our friend Duncan Trussell actually told me this. Hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> got to do it. Got to do it. Great impression of Duncan. He's he's who put us in touch. That's right. Duncan changed my life. He turned me on to Ramdas. He turned me on to. He's an incredible man. I love him so much. Comedians are so so brilliant, and and uh, I think it's right when people say sometimes glibly, but it's true. Uh, the philosophers of our time to be able to look at things in a different way, and then be able to articulate it to others, not just look at it in a mm-hmm. way, and you're in some. I don't know, uh, closet in, in Stanford University, and no one ever really hears what you say, but a comedian, to then mm. figure out a way to translate it to the every man and woman, it's, it is, mm. it's nothing short of, of brilliant uh, philosophy when, when done it. You know, so Duncan, you, um, perfect examples. Mm. And Duncan uh, told me the story, said uh, that one of the followers of the Buddha went up to, a couple of them went up to him and asked, they said, What's most important? What's more important, uh, the Dharma, the teaching, um, you or uh, Sangha, which means community, community and truth in uh, Sanskrit, say san, uh, satsang. And so they said, the teaching, you, the freaking teacher, the the deliverer of the the message, and uh, or community. And he said, community. They asked this to Duncan. No, they asked this. The followers of the Buddha. Buddha. Yeah, the followers of Buddha asked yeah. this to, to Buddha, and he said the community. Wow, more important than That's, the message, and more important than the teachers, the people around us, and and wow. and a very uh, talk about employing your intellect, um, developing your intellect to recognize ooh, these drinking buddies. Take out the alcohol. We probably aren't friends. I've I've had that before where I'm like, uh oh, this is my, you know, Ben Franklin called some people suicides, Mm-mm. and he and he, I think he said fifty percent of of men, I think he meant men, not women, were suicides, meaning were just killing themselves, uh, unconsciously killing themselves, and I'm like, that number seems a little low actually, because yeah. <laughs> there was a time in my life when I was an unconscious suicide, meaning yeah. I, I loved life, I think, or if you would ask me. But that I, w- I was still going out and doing not like a huge self-destructive behavior, but a tiny chip. If I keep chipping away in this direction, I'm going to die. And a lot of that had to do with um, enabling, enabling mm-hmm. presence in your, in your life. And it's a sad thing when you recognize like, oh, I think we're getting together to kill, our, our kill, mm-hmm. kill ourselves. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that's what we're doing. That's, yeah. but I, and I th- I think that's uh, there's something deep and, and beautiful in that as well. In when you're 18 and you're like discovering community for well, the that's first the time. That's the prodigal son. Yeah, the prodigal yeah, son. Yeah, it's yeah. like 
the I, prodigal I, son. I am yeah. discovering community. Wow, this is what it, it feels like to be away from my parents and find my own community at 18, at 24, 27. Yeah. But like, you know, it's, um, I think it was Gandhi that said, uh, you can judge a man's wisdom by how much he's traveled. Similarly, you can say, okay, keep traveling. Keep finding other communities. Don't just stop with the drinking buddies that rally around the football games on Saturday. That's right. But keep traveling. There is something divine in that community, in that losing oneself in the company of others. But find, right. find community built around truth, not just community, and you get something right. much, much greater. Like the way the ice cream was just a, a little hint of enlightenment because it, it removes desire. I don't want to disparage those groups too much. Those drinking, smoking friends, I'm sure loved me and supported me mm-hmm. in a way that I really needed mm-hmm. and needed to be drinking and smoking while I did it. You and, yeah, uh, you and me because both. there was something psychologically beautiful about that rebelliousness right. coming out in a very classic American twenties sort of way. Yeah. All right. Okay. Tell me, tell me the third step. So, uh, I will tell you the third chapter, but then also you, you touched on rebelliousness. So we'll, we'll, maybe we'll touch on that. The, um, and then, and then we can end it. But, um, the the third chapter so the second chapter is this central concept um and i think one of the central contributions of vedanta if not the central contribution is that you have two equipments within you mind and an intellect and to develop the intellect to guide the mind or else you have this this river that's going to wreak havoc over and over and over in, in your world to develop the intellect it's to read and learn from the masters that have developed their intellect and it, it really is it's this practical knowledge things that get you what you want, that peace and prosperity, it's the manual for getting those. It's things like, oh, I, I think I need to. We mentioned one of the knowledge, nuclear knowledge bombs that I think about all the time from Ramatirtha of um, detach, attach, you lose, detach, you gain. Hear that and you know, kind of work on it, untie it a little bit. And you're like, what is that? Oh, yeah. When I was dating so-and-so, I was too attached and I lost hmm. her or him because, holy shit, yeah, people – they feel that neediness, like your grand, like your parents with their grandchild. People at three years old feel that. Whereas, or certain streamers giving me too many offshoots of fan fiction, mm-hmm. like side series. I'm like, you want me too bad? Yeah, this is a little t- I, detached. I want to, I want to go to the network that's like, here's a weird fucked up thing you didn't even know you would love, and I'm like, oh, you're kinky. That's right. Yeah, I like that so much more. Yeah, and they're not mm-hmm. desperate for anything that you got because they got other great things going on. But boom, you walk through the door. That's right. And and man, those people that are detached in a healthy way. Um, they don't need something from you. They're they're the most beautiful people in any of our friend groups. They are yes. the best coworkers, the ones that don't need things from you constantly. So body, mind, yes. intellect. The third um, the third chapter in this book uh, and develop the, develop the intellect is as easy as reading Vedanta Treatise or or uh, checking out check out Yoga for Your Intellect. Um, we don't make anything. There's no ads or anything, so it's literally just a service of trying to break down Vedanta for folks. But the third chapter, the advanced chapter, the deep end, Pete, that would be um, broken down like this and simply said, none of this is real. None of this is real. It is all an illusion. And the way that you and I believe we're talking to each other, but it is screens. It is not you that I'm looking at right now. It is a projection of you. None of this is real, and our whole world is a projection. 
and it is a projection of our minds. The intellect will show us as it gets developed what's really there, what we really want. You know, 12 hours later, 12 years later, 100 years later, see the end in the beginning, what we really want. But it's our mind that tells us what's in front of us and tells us with such certainty, no, 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 this is, this is real. And, mm-hmm. and the way that Vedanta looks at it is says there's three states. There's a deep sleep state. And this is – talk about practical philosophy. This is not like – you don't need to make a leap of faith in any of this. So just – I have no idea where they came up with this stuff. But it's uh, – mm. the concept of this, these three states is pretty simple to get behind. It's you've got your deep sleep where nothing's going on in your mind. You have um, – and this has now been verified a million times over with modern science. You have deep sleep, deep sleep. Then you have a dreaming state. Almost every night we have these dreams – and these dreams seem exceptionally real to us. They have, they have gravity, laws of gravity. They've got walls. They've got people. They've got drama. The interesting thing it about... It does struggle yeah. with the principle of light, I'll point out. You ever flick a light switch in a dream? <laughs> that, <laughs> keep going. And, keep going. And keep going. Uh, apparently it's very difficult to read uh, because yeah, your yeah. your right brain is doing uh, most of the... Did you dream. get that from Batman the Animated Series? <laughs> Because that's where I Pretty got sure that. Pretty sure I did, back. actually. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and I could, that's actually, I swear to you, that is so true. I think a friend told me that. Um, the Riddler. And then, yes, and then he was, Batman figured out he was in a dream because he couldn't read. That's, that's so, right, because his parents were still alive. That's right. Yes, that's right. Yes. So, uh, but this is very Vedantic or very like uh, spiritual. You you can have the experience in a dream that you feel like you are reading, but you you may not actually be reading. Right. But then you ask, what's the difference of feeling like you are reading in a dream or actually right. reading in a dream? Now we're really kicking it into well, uh, the delicious gear. Well, as Rupert would say, there, yeah, there that. All you have is the feeling of reading. There is no such thing as reading unless you – That's right. Consci- you, That's in right. your consciousness, you, you feel like you are. So um, – yeah, Well, yeah. Well, I love it. Yes, yes. Okay. Keep going. So, I, I, I want to give you a warning, uh, James, just because Val needs yes. – I need to take over with Leela. So let's we'll, – we'll wrap up in the next couple perfect. of minutes here. But, That's but perfect. Well, we can finish thought. the whole thing in, in four minutes. So – okay. Um, and so you have this this – Deep sleep, this this dreaming state where you're creating not only what is so wild. If we only dreamed once in our lifetime, we would be like, holy shit, none of this is real. Because I just had this crazy psychedelic mind-bending experience and I thought mm. something was so real. Now I'm going to question everything. But it's because we have it every night that we are so just um, immune to questioning reality. So you have this dream and anyone listening can think about a recent dream where you, you – not only had other people in it, you had interactions, you had drama, you were creating it. No one would deny it. they created that dream, but also you didn't even know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. You had no idea what was going to happen next and you were the creator of it. And Vedanta would say, well, the waking state, this third state, it's just an elevated version of a dream. It's the, ex- mm-hmm. it's the same, not the exact same thing. It's an elevated version, but it is the same projection of your mind that this table is real. It has to be real because I'm knocking on it. Well, there's nothing you can say. And these are these great masters. Just Again, I have no idea where they got this wisdom, but there's nothing you can say about this quote-unquote real life that you can't say about a dream. 
Even the mm-hmm. reading statement that is the unwinding of that is no, it's you feeling like you're reading because you right. you turn right. off the the projector, uh, you exit the simulation, you jump out of the dream. I've had dreams where I thought I was I was reading because I've thought about this since I was I don't know thirteen or fourteen. Mm-hmm. Of like, oh, mm-hmm. you can't read in a dream mm-hmm. because <laughs> me too, me too, because yeah. of Batman. Yeah. I think I probably read in a dream to see if I was dreaming. Mm. Uh, because of Batman. This is what Rupert says. I know I'm extending it now, so this is my fault. I apologize, Val, when you listen to this. Um, he, This blew my mind when he's talking about this third chapter of Vedanta, that everything is a projection of, of the mind or, or, or of, of, of knowing, of consciousness. He goes, and like, what are we doing? I don't know what question was asked, but you'll, I'll just mm-hmm. give you the answer. He goes... Imagine you're having a dream and it's a beautiful beach in the Bahamas, right? Um, how are you going to experience that dream unless you localize it in a character? Mm-hmm. He's like, you have to take, you have this infinite possibility of any dream you want. You make a beach. How are you going to, exp- even if you're a disembodied consciousness flying around it or looking at it from above, mm-hmm. you still have to localize it. And he goes, that's what consciousness is doing with the mind. The, co- co- the infinite consciousness creates the finite mind because only the finite can know the finite. Mm-hmm. It created a tool to localize itself in its own dream to experience it. And like when you put it that way, you just go like, oh, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. The beach. Yeah. I mean, the, the most beautiful beach in, in the world cannot experience itself. And that's right. You need to localize it in a person. Right. And this is why surf. The, so you like serving. Laird Hamilton uh, adds perspective to a wave. When you put Laird on mm-hmm. a wave, now we have something experiencing that wave, and it helps me experience the wave from afar because I can see how big it is because he's on it. It's it's consciousness delighting itself in its myriad forms. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. And and in it's I mean, stuff. what is the one thing the infinite lacks? It's limitation. So even in this limitation or this um, this illusory limitation that oh i'm this limited yeah. thing and so that's that is the 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 third chapter yes. is none of this is real and you have these three states but the end of the book is there is this fourth state and there is this fourth state that is beyond the mind the projection of the mind this illusory vision that this is so real this perception that it is, these people are real because i can touch them everything is you know the same as the dream you had last night just an elevated version and there is this fourth state beyond the state of limitation and that is any number of linguistic term you give it will be limited because it's just words but it is liberation or moksha or nirvana it's it is um perhaps my favorite way of de- describing it is in Sanskrit, it's called Turiya. It's just fourth. There's no, no name for it, no qualification. It's not liberation versus this being imprisonment. It is just there is a fourth state. There is something. There is something beyond this third state if you choose mm. to want to experience it. And I'll say as, as you just, in Vedantic wisdom, they'd say as you just pursue it, your world around you gets more beautiful. Hmm. Well, that is certainly true, and I'm loving this conversation, and I'm dreading that. Uh, and let's get you. Let's I'm get dreading. you. Let's get you out of here. Um, the can I? I hate that I have to end it. It's, no, no, no. Oh, that's, I was going to say, dude, you two didn't hours. End it, this didn't is two it. hours. So this is so so good. Um, can I touch on rebellion real quick for thirty seconds? Go ahead. Well, the that we talked about rebellion and Vedanta is, is in in a very cool hip way. 
and this has been the case for uh, centuries, is called the ultimate rebellion. And said another way, it's being true to yourself is the ultimate rebellion. Mm. It's not the construct that 2, 5, 20, 50 people around you want you to be. But tapping into your true nature, um, that is the ultimate rebellion. Mm. And even those, even those, the 19-year-olds drinking underage, getting hammered, that rebellion. Or the 13-year-old that is uh, causing havoc in class, uh, the class clown. Mm-hmm. That rebellion is the intellect. And it was my teacher, Joseph, that, that, that taught me this. He said, that's the intellect at work. I would have thought it was something lower at work. And he said, no, that's the intellect at work. It's the intellect recognizing all these rules, structures um, are bullshit. I completely and tr- and buddy, yeah, and trying to trying to create distance from themselves, rebelling against their parents, their overbearing parents. They're rebelling because their intellect is saying this is too close. Yes, I did. I'm doing press for this new show that I have coming out, and they, somebody, so my publicist was like. We have you're doing a thing for an online show, and they want to ask you about this is this is made up because I don't want to disparage the the real people. But you have to pick between uh, you have to say if your life was a cake and the types of cakes it was um, at different stages in your life, and that's and that's what they say. Mm. And they say it with a complete straight face, and I'm just like, okay, so I have to like say the different stages of my life as cakes, and I go and they go yes, and I go, can it be a cupcake, right? <laughs> And they call the show, ask, get back to me, and say, it can't be a cupcake. Now, James, I think when you do this work, the work we're talking about, you get the joke of that. You go, that is so absurd. I start texting them. I'm just texting, ha, 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 ha. And then I realize, like, I don't think they know why I'm laughing. I'm laughing because you're making up a rule about something that's not real. I can't right. be a cupcake. I can be a cake. Mm-hmm. That is worthy of my rebellion, and it's hilarious. And I think that's what we're talking about. And I, I do have to go. And Amen. I love that I made you smile though and laugh. Amen. That's it. It's, I'm going to come do your podcast. We'll call that part two. <laughs> yes, I cannot wait. I can't wait. Thank you, Pete, buddy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. I could have talked for nine more years. We didn't even talk about Magic Mind and how much I love it, but. Oh, that's totally fine. I talk about plenty. I know, whatever. There'll be plenty more. Will you say, first of all, so much love to you. And would you say, keep it crispy? It's how we end. Of course. Keep it crispy. You keep it crispy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, buddy. We'll talk soon. Okay? All right, buddy. Okay. Thank Bye, you. Bye-bye. Bye, brother.